Well, hello there. Welcome to TBD with John. And Aaron. Stand by for bystander <laughs> effect. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. We're back. Here we we're go. back with another we're one back. of our fun little mini episodes here. Today we're going to be talking about, I don't know how what, what you'd kind of classify this as. Like it's maybe like a, a cognitive bias of sorts or maybe just like a, a psychological thing that people have observed Phenomenon. and noticed. Phenomenon. 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 Yeah. What a phenomenal word from a phenomenal man. Phenomenon. <laughs> the the phenomenon. Yeah. I guess it's something uh, that, uh, yeah. Phenomenon. What's it? How do you even de- de- define a phenomenon? I don't know. We're really showing our hand here. But anyway, you know, something we can observe that occurs, something that happens, um, or at least people claim happens. And we're talking about the bystander effect. Um, Aaron, how confident are you on what you think the bystander effect means? Or when you well, hear it, when someone says, oh, the bystander effect, what, what does that make you think about? Well, I think about like uh, sometimes I use a language like bystander versus upstander, which I don't necessarily really like. Um, but the bystander is someone who like is standing by, maybe witnesses uh, something um, and maybe in contrast to someone who stands up or what they would maybe refer to in like modern lingo as like the upstander is someone who just stands by sort of just observes it or actually takes very little notice of it uh, when given a choice and does not engage with whatever they happen to be witnessing. How do you? That's really good. I was like, wow, that's that's impressive. It really. Dear diary today, John said I did outstanding. Yeah. Okay. So bystander effect. Uh, we're talking about this one today because uh, we're trying to focus in on these little phenoms and details and, and things like that. And um, it's one that sort of caught our eye. And I suppose when I think about it, I think of the classic um, scenario where perhaps, and this is how it's often presented, I believe, the classic scenario where uh, maybe someone's having a heart attack in a busy place, you know, it might be at a shopping mall or like, you know, in the street or something like that. And uh, a lot of people gather around the guy and then someone yells out, um, you know, someone call an ambulance. And the classic outcome is that, well, no one calls an ambulance as a result because we're all standing by and we're all watching this dude and having his heart attack or whatever's happened to him. And we're thinking, oh, someone else will call that ambulance, you know. So that's that's often what I think about when I think of the bystander effect, that there's this sort of... Um, diffusion of responsibility and as a result of the sort of group thing or the group of you there you you don't feel responsible to act or take that action or you don't feel like you should it's not even a case of maybe a moral thing it might just be the um the sense that you you don't want to overstep your boundary. You know, maybe there's a you don't feel like oh actually look if I I'm looking around and there's people who are more comp uh, competent than me or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes actually from a very similar situation to that. I think originally, um, it came about because there was this murder of someone. Oh, here it is. Uh, named 
Kitty Genovese. Just a name you don't get very often anymore. I know. Uh, it's such a memorable name. That is a, it's, it's a great yeah, name. You know, I, could, I, mean, I had to go back and find it because I couldn't remember it. Uh, I remembered it Kitty. I remember it was like Miss Kitty was killed um, in 1964. <laughs> and apparently, and again, this has, I think, been somewhat disproven over time. Hmm. But it was sort of initially claimed that there was something like 30 some odd people who watched her stabbed to death. Um, and no one called the police. So sort of similarly to like watching someone well, different and obviously the outcome, but someone stealing someone's purse, like in a busy city and you're just kind of watching them run away and be like, Oh my God. They run right by you. And you're like, oh my yeah. goodness. Wow. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to stand by ineffectively. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That Kitty Genovese uh, story is really interesting, isn't it? Because as you say, that's sort of where it, where it came from apocryphally um, through that story. And, and, it, and you're right that, you know, without getting into it too much, but that, that's where it's sort of born out from this idea that people would see something so horrendous as a murder, whether they saw it or heard it or they heard enough evidence to, to be able to claim there's a woman being killed over there and yet still not do anything, feel that someone else should have that responsibility of acting or, or, or following it up. Um, and the bystander effect was sort of born out of, of, of that um, of, of that occurrence. But, yeah, as you say, disproved to an extent later on, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. So what do you think? What are, I mean, you mentioned some of these things that or you've alluded mm. to maybe some of the reasons why people don't get involved. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about some of the some of the, the hypothesized or kind of proven reasons why people don't yeah, tend to get so involved? Yeah, so often, often psychologists are looking to do experiments, you know, to prove or look at different contexts in which the bystander effect is, um, uh, manifests itself. And I think one of the things they often land on is the group size. So uh, if we're in a group, say, of, you know, me, you and a couple of friends and we go away on a, on a holiday and one of us, you know, is in the other room and we hear them getting murdered, the three of us are likely to try and go save that other person because we're a small group and we feel perhaps responsible, which is in and of itself another issue for this other person's safety or well-being. Um, however, if, say, we are at, I don't know, um, a big football game or soccer game or whatever and there's hundreds of thousands of people and we see someone across the other side of the stadium getting stabbed by someone or whatever, we're observing or at least feeling that same situation of, oh, I have identified someone else in peril. But that group size of the stadium, we might feel that at that point when we can't act as, as um, we may feel that we don't have to act as much, that there are other people, perhaps we might claim, oh, the people next to them should act. They, you know, they're in closer proximity. There's so much, so many more other people that should act. Oh man, like it's such a, it reveals such a potentially cynical uh, side of ourselves, which is like, eh, somebody else's problem and how happy we are to kind of like let that, <laughs> let that, let that carry the day. Yeah, well, speaking of football, right? Oh, sorry, please continue. No, no, please don't. The, uh, speaking of football though, another, another one of the things I was reading about for why psychologists hypothesize or have some evidence to prove this happens is also the idea of group affiliation. So they tried an experiment where someone was, uh, seemingly mugged or imperiled in some way walking down a sidewalk and to see if someone would get involved. Uh, and they did it in kind of three different modes. One was just someone wearing kind of a plain t-shirt. One was someone wearing, um, 
a football shirt and one was wearing a football shirt specifically the same team as the the bystander they brought in. So they found bystanders who were fans of, of uh, football for this experiment. Now, again, there's lots of little variables here, like, the, like maybe football players or football fans tend to think of themselves a certain way as well. So that, that's a variable. But they did find that the bystander got more involved, most involved for someone who was wearing the same team jersey as the fan, as the team that they support, slightly less involved, but still more involved in the plain T-shirt for if it was just a football fan. So, so they hypothesized that the more affiliation you feel for that person, that would be linked to uh, empathy. And then as a result, you're more likely to kind of want to, you, I guess you feel like that's someone you, that's, that's someone you can identify with who's being attacked or whatever. In yeah. In some way. Okay. So, so we've got group size, we've got perhaps, um, how would we define that affiliation or we would, um, I think so. Yeah. Someone we feel affiliated with to, to support perhaps like, um, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. What else would influence this bystander effect? Do you think? Oh gosh. Well, I mean, some of it's got to be, maybe we're skipping it over because it's so obvious, but like your mm. own, like your own personal safety. So sort of like when you first talked to a group size and like the three of us hearing mm. someone being murdered in the next room, uh, we might be more likely to jump in if we thought that person was being strangled by one person than if they were being like beaten to death by 50 people. Which would be <laughs> oh man, what a scenario! <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how all 50 people got into the house, but like, oh, really, hey, um... <laughs> yeah, they really piled on at the end. Yeah, uh, knock on the door, like, are you coming to dinner? Knock, knock, yeah. knock. Sorry, I can. And you open the door, and there's 50 people, <laughs> yeah, not 49. 50 people just beating yeah. the crap out of our friend. Like mid just slowly beating, closes like, the, the door. door back. <laughs> yeah yeah and even like mid beating there's like you can hear knocks on the door yeah, yeah. Like outside that door you're in a different room but that has a room has a door to the outside and they come in and they're like i'm here for the beating oh yeah yeah come on and he's still going you can give him a couple good swift kicks <laughs> who knew we were uh, friends with such a hateable person who i know that was the case yeah. at that point you gotta start wondering if this person deserves this or not i um, did hear another one and look maybe again this might be apocryphal it might not be particularly real but uh it was a famous case of uh responsibility and i bring it up as maybe perhaps responsibility is another realm that might be impacting the bystander effect um and what i mean by that is whether you feel you're responsible whether that's through being institutionally charged with being responsible being a member of an organization or something in a hierarchy in which you should be responsible um or not the story goes that there was this guy like uh, drowning effectively, or he'd walked out. He'd walked out into the water of his own free will and he stood out there just with his head above the water. And the mother of the boy, and I think he had some kind of disability, says, you know, oh, gosh, my, my son's out there. You know, someone needs to go out there and save him. Um, and so the police get called, the fire department comes down. Like, so all these people are standing on the beach that are what we would call responsible people. So therefore, the common citizenry step aside because they think, oh, well, the cops are here, the fire brigade's here, whatever, they'll, they'll save this bloke. But then what happens is the cops think the fire brigade is responsible and then the fire brigade thinks the police are responsible. So no one's going out. So everyone's just this bystander watching this kid out there, you know, um, who is, you know, mentally deficient and he's in a vulnerable position and so therefore he needs help. And so it got to the point that, uh, according to the story, and I'll link to this in the thing later, once I dig it out, I can't remember the name, 
etc. as usual. And uh, so it got to the point where a bystander eventually got up the courage to go, well, what the hell's going on here? Like, and just charged out there and grabbed the kid and brought him back in, uh, by which point he um, had already drowned. He was dead. They, yeah, oh, died God. Later on. That's a sharp, so, sharp turn. I didn't expect that one at all. I thought he was just standing with his head above the water. Jeez. Oh, that's it. <laughs> Um, so it's pretty brutal, but a really good example, if it's true, and I'm, I'm quite happy to be um, disproved on this, um, as always, uh, of how you can get trapped in a, oh, that's not my problem, that's someone else's um, responsibility. And, and I guess, you know, the bystander effect in and of itself is probably a more specific example of um, we're probably moving a bit more broadly in our discussion of it at the moment, which is, I guess, around responsibility. Uh, but I think, yeah, responsibility would be another aspect of the bystander effect. Yeah, and I think that even if that story specifically didn't happen, I think there's lots of there's lots of instances where there's a debate over whose responsibility is this for better or for worse. People trying to like mm. take, take ownership of a situation that's not really theirs to own, or again, when the stakes are high and it's like an emergency, people sadly, uh, based on this conversation at least, seem to be happy to be like, yeah. You you go ahead. It's in the water, and firemen deal with water all the time. Well, I am wearing 400 pounds of gear, so maybe you could jump in the water. Uh, it's really more of a lifeguard thing. Oh, yeah, but you're like yeah. a professional law. I'm like a 17-year-old who wanted a tan. So, yeah, there's lots of, uh, <laughs> lots of things going on there. Yeah, that's really good. That's exactly right. Well, it was interesting just researching this, and it's probably the last thing we'll talk about is – there's actually a really big counterpoint to this very recently. And, and this is often the case I find with these sort of psychological phenomena is that um, they're very provable within these lab settings. But then often if someone really digs their heels in and goes digging and really um, uh, tries to disprove them, they usually can. And this is another example <laughs> of that. And this is sort of a pet hobby of mine is finding these. And uh, this is a really good example. So, this professor in the Netherlands, Marie Rosencrantz Lindegaard, did a study very recently. I think it was like 2020. And uh, they had, I guess, an intuition that they thought the bystander effect wasn't as prevalent uh, as people were claiming. And so what her and her undergrad student did is they took uh, a heap of CCTV footage of um, street kind of violence, I suppose. So, you know, fracas and outside a nightclub or uh, that kind of classic YouTube fair where you're seeing people sort of punching on outside a bar or whatever it happens to be, and whether bystanders intervene to try and break up the fight. Um, so they looked at three countries. They looked at um, America, the UK, and South Africa, I believe. Um, again, I'll double-check this. And uh, they looked at 219 disputes that were on camera, and they found out that almost all of them, I think it was only like two or three of them, didn't have anyone get involved in the fight. Um, and so a really strong argument to say that, well, the bystander effect simply doesn't exist. And I suppose um, I don't think you can make that binary claim on one side or the other. But what it does tell us is that maybe it's not as prevalent or, you know, um, broadly present as, as it might have been claimed. Yeah, I mean, again, there's so many little variables about like the cultures in which the those studies took place because there's definitely some some thinking around like how different cultures might have different values of like when to get involved and like what's none of your business and 
like if it's not your family or your close kind of crew that it's it's you know it's outside of you um but yeah, yeah that's a really good point it, it does make you feel pretty confident like now if someone challenges me to get into a fight at the pub uh, and it's just me and there's like three of them i'm like ah, don't worry someone's gonna get involved there's a <laughs> miss, miss rosencrantz lieberberg jesus yeah someone's gonna come to my rescue so that's really good i think one oh, thing it's good that, that you can have that confidence yeah you know it's good to have that feeling like i'm tired of getting like usually i say no thank you i don't want to fight it's not you know but really deep down inside it's just because i'm afraid that if i do get beat up which is uh, there's a very high chance of happening um then you know no one's gonna help me so Maybe the, I wonder what's like one of the cases too that I find is just sort of um, I don't think it really it fits in, but it's it's maybe not is a bit tangential, which is usually what my contributions to this podcast are. Um, but it's the idea of like people. I'm thinking about these very horrific events uh, around police brutality is just the most recent kind of example, but where someone does not you might have four or five people filming it on their cell phones, but then no one actually physically intervenes. Mm. And I find that to be an interesting dilemma with the bystander effect as well is like what, what sort of constitutes bystander behavior and upstander behavior. Cause they're doing something, but like there's, and again, I'm not saying these people are like, these people are very brave to do these kinds of things that there, there, there is peril to film someone in authority committing violence because obviously they seem to be comfortable committing that violence uh so i'm not trying to attack these people but it's just it's just to raise the philosophical ethical wondering when someone's filmed being killed could you have even if it was to some physical peril have saved a life by throwing yourself in there or would you have just mm. is it one of those is again and it's sort of like like someone witnessing violence in, in a wartime situation and being like, mm. I just had to witness it because if I w- got myself involved, it would have just been two bodies instead of one body. It's just this complicated thing. It's that a really good question. Yeah. Think about. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really good question because what you're asking the bystander to measure is to what extent uh, there's sort of like, you could almost graph it, right? It's the peril of the, uh, person experiencing the trauma. So in your scenario, it's, um, you know, saying an, uh, analogous to, say, the George Floyd um, event, right? That would be yeah. an analogy. Is that, correct me if I'm wrong. And so yeah, you've right. got a guy being, you know, assaulted by a police officer on the ground and to the point where, you know, he's he's saying, look, oh, you know, you're going to kill me here, blah, 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 blah. So you've got that sort of on one axis. And then on the other is the bystanders perceived risk right of intervening and and i suppose for each person that intersection of the two on the graph is everyone has a different i suppose positioning on that you know where are their tolerances and that's i guess what you're asking is you know um to what extent does that bystander have more responsibility uh, beyond say filming it or sharing that like hey this is happening to the point where well that person will die if i don't um, act or do something there is real peril there yeah and my I, answer I know to that would sorry no go tell me your answer to that go oh no, i was just gonna say my answer <laughs> to that is that it'll always be based in your perception of what will happen to you i think in that scenario it'll always be measured against that because you 
these people who are observing this obviously must perceive, whether rightly or wrongly, that if I intervene, I will be putting myself at serious harm. Yeah, and I mean, some people seem to, like, there seems to be evidence that people will go for that. Like, they're, you know, they'll throw themselves and they're on the off chance. Like, there's lots of situations, sadly, of people Mm. drowning, trying to save drowning people. Yes. Um, But I also think, yeah, and again, I'm not trying to disparage these people. um, No, no, yeah, sure. Who'd make this brave choice. Counter it with, well, not counter it, but just to develop it further as a concept. Like, I think that if you had, say, your brother was being assaulted by the police, so I could say, if I saw my brother being assaulted by the police where I thought he was at the point of dying, I would definitely intervene. I don't give a shit what, what happens to me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mm. care. So, there's a big difference there, I think, that whereas a stranger, you, and that's just kind of just in and out groups that you're talking about before, where there's a, that, that affiliation matrix i suppose could be put on this as well like to what extent do i affiliate or have responsibility for this person beyond just another human being it'd be quite the quite a big decision making graph because i think there's 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 (laughs) there's that there's that yeah you're going through a a really quick uh flow chart there uh in in the moments and that's even if your rational brain is even working properly right so there's that there's the levels of affiliation there's the uh, perceived peril that you would be put in, which again, it is perception. You don't know whether you could shake a police officer to their senses or whoever the person might be when they're clearly, but also there's also mm. the perceived, there's the ambiguity of what's happening in front of you. When did you, when did Correct. you come across that scene? So, so what situation is that? Was that like caused that situation in the first place? And then, you know, the, I don't even like think, I don't even like thinking about it, how disgusting the George Floyd sort of video is, but, in that situation, he was able to articulate what was happening to him. In lots of other situations, they're not. Or if you came along a little bit late and you, you couldn't tell whether he was, he wasn't able, you couldn't hear him saying that, um, then you don't really know mm. if like that person isn't, are they in mortal danger or are they just being like roughly yes. arrested, which is still wrong, but it's like, I'm not going to throw myself onto a police officer's back if they're roughly arresting somebody who committed armed robbery. It's very different than this person is undeservedly being choked to death. Um, and yeah. the only their only hope is for me to like jump on this police officer's back. So, yeah, it's it's mm. there's so many variables, which is why we can't attack, and I never would seek to. But it's it's that's why the the taking time to kind of hypothesize this stuff in advance a little bit, or like outside of the specifics of one situation, this is very interesting as an ethical sort of situation. Here we go. That's the. Uh, I mean, lots to think about. Lots of different variables coming to play here. Lots of um, little nuggets of wisdom. Hopefully, little things to think about. Um, Trying to wrap them all up into a small parcel and uh, <laughs> put them under the tree for someone you just sort of like, a colleague. <laughs> yes, that's right. This can be a little present, a little, little, little nugget that you're giving to someone for. Uh... The secret Santa. Yeah. And if Kringle. you were given this nugget and you were kind of like, what? Then that's the perfect excuse to re-gift it to somebody else, you know, or pass it on. Uh, yeah. So thank you for, for listening. Once again, I'm Aaron here with my good friend, John. And this has been another quick episode of TBD with John and Aaron. Thanks very much. <laughs>